Uh, it's so great to see you guys this morning. I have a word for you. The word is trust. Never has that word been as tested as it is right now, at least in the life that I've lived so far. You see, trust is a complicated word because we all trust in something. You either trust in your own acumen, your ability to have strong intellect, your strong wittedness to get out of a situation. You put your trust in your bank account. You put your trust in maybe your guns. You put your trust in something. Hopefully, you put your trust in the Lord. And that's a huge deal because trust, I want to give you a quick definition of trust. Trust has to be a verb. It can't be an adjective. I think a lot of people think trust is an adjective. It's something that describes what you're feeling. I feel like I trust that, whatever that is. But trust is really a verb. And you know what you trust based on what you do or don't do in any given circumstance. I want to take you into that today as we talk about what it means to be a person of faith, to be a person of trust and the complicated parts of not trusting in the right things. I want to take you real quickly here to a preacher who preached 2,500 years ago. And his sermon is really in your face. Jeremiah, he's a prophet. And what he shows here, if a lot of times people look at the prophets and say, I can't really relate to them. But if you think of the prophets like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel as preachers, it helps you to realize they're just preaching a sermon to people. And that's what Jeremiah was doing. He was preaching a sermon to all the children of Israel. And look at what he says. This is Jeremiah 17, and look at how he describes it. He says, The Lord says, Cursed is anyone who trusts in man or in humankind, the ability to do stuff on your own. Anyone who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord, that person will be like a bush in the wastelands, they will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. <laughs> he kind of gets the point across. Anybody want to trust in human ability? Uh, he's saying, you're going to have a rough life if you trust in our ability to fix things. He goes on. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Look at the blessings that come. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It'll feel refreshed, right? It does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves will always be green, because they are refreshed by the water. It has no worries in a year of drought, or you could add pandemic, and never fails to bear fruit. God couldn't be clear, more clear than what he is through this preacher, Jeremiah. He says, trust in the ways of humanity, and you will come to ruin eventually. And you're like, no, 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 that's not true. I mean, we've, look at all that we've accomplished. Look at all that we've fixed. And I'm like, yeah, look at the world around us and look at all the messes that we've made. But if you trust in the Lord, amazing blessings of protection and care and nourishment come our way. It's like, okay, but do you believe that? 
One of the things I'm finding as a blessing during this time of COVID is it's really forcing us to really ask the question, where do we trust and who do we trust? Do we really trust in our own ability to fix everything or is this a moment in time where we get a chance to really test our faith in the Lord? So there were a group of people right after this sermon was preached and they kind of put this sermon to the test. Like you guys put my sermons to the test every single day and you're like, that didn't work. Yeah, it better have worked. The Lord speaks through the scriptures and, and you have in this incredible sermon like, he lays it out. Do you trust in God? Trust is a verb. You're going to take steps that you say, God, I'm trusting in you. Or you trust in the ways of humanity to fix it. Well, there were a group of people that heard this that were called the Edomites. Now, they're mentioned in Scripture, but in some obscure ways. They're only mentioned a couple of times. And I want to read one of those times that they're mentioned to take us through the story of the Edomites. These were a group of people that genuinely trusted in their own ability to fix their circumstance. But it didn't happen suddenly. They didn't just one day say, I'm better than God. I mean, that's not what we do when it comes down to losing your faith in God. It happens subtly over time where you're like disappointed by your circumstances and then you say, you don't ever even maybe say out loud, I don't trust God. But you actually live out your verb. Your action shows that you trust in your ability to fix your current circumstance. And so you change things up as you go. These Edomites actually have a history, and that's why they actually did what they did. See, the Edom Edomite people come from the bloodline of Esau. Any of you ever remember or heard of Esau? Esau was a man who was a twin brother to Jacob, and Esau was the older brother. Jacob was the younger brother by a millisecond. The problem with this is that if you're the younger brother you don't get anything in the Hebrew culture. The firstborn male, sorry females in that culture, you didn't get anything either. The firstborn male gets it all. When it comes time for reading of the will, older brothers stand up, take it all. Everybody else, feel bad for you. Good luck with that. That's, that seems so frustrating, but that's how it played out. And so Jacob, the younger brother, who came out clutching the heel of Edom, or of Edom but um, Esau, he holds on to Esau's, and Esau's, hey, I'm firstborn, I'm, I'm it, I'm the bomb. Well, watch how it plays out. I'm going to read to you in Genesis 25 and share, share with you how this plays. So Jacob is conniving. He tries to fix it. He's like, he's going into his own flesh as well. But look at what happens. Verse, chapter 25, verse 29. And I want you to ask, what would you do? Okay. Verse 29. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, the younger brother Jacob cooking some stew, the older brother Esau, who's the favored one who gets the blessing from the father's blessing, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew that you've made. And in parentheses, this is how the scriptures read it. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, the Edomites that we'll talk about in just a second. We're going to go to Obadiah where we'll read about it. And Obadiah, you're like, is that in the Bible? It is. I'll show you. Edom means red. Okay, so the Edomites just mean red people. Okay, that's interesting. 
uh, verse 31. All right, Jacob replied, you can have my famous stew, but first you must trade me your birthright as the firstborn son. What would you do? <laughs> I'm hungry. I mean, I know you you're, uh, have some good cooks in your home and you guys have made some good meals and stuff, but would you give up all of your blessings for one meal? Well, he must be extremely hungry because he does. Verse 32. Look, I'm dying of starvation. And Esau said, what good is it to have my birthright if I'm dead? So you can have it. And Jacob's like, for real? My stew for your forever blessing. What? So Jacob said, okay, um, you can have my stew, but first you must swear your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother. Are you kidding me? What was he thinking? Well, I mean, he must have been extremely hungry to be able to give up his birthright to his, to his younger brother. And his younger brother took it and took the blessing of, get this, all of Israel. And the bloodline of Jesus Christ goes through Jacob. Now, you may say, that's conniving in of itself. I mean, Jacob, or, yeah, Jacob had to wrestle with God. Jacob had lots of struggles. But God's grace followed that bloodline and went with Israel. Esau gave up his blessing and now is on his own and has to go off and becomes known as the Edomites off that red stew. Imagine what that would be like. You would be pigeonholed as the guy who gave up all of his blessings, all of the reading of the will and the blessings of the family for one can of soup. Are you kidding me? Well, that's how it played out. So now just imagine, you're off in the wilderness how would you feel about your brother? You'd be furious. And sure enough, that's how it played out. For hundreds of years, the Edomites hate Israel because of what great, 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 great grandpa did. We are cursed, if you will, because he gave up the blessings. Esau, what were you thinking? Grandpa, Esau, what were you thinking? So the Edomites are an angry people. Probably you would be as well. You tell the family story. Kids, this is why our life is in shambles. Because your granddaddy couldn't stand to be hungry for a night and he gave up the birthright. That's how this whole story plays out. So the Edomites are building up all of this rage, all of this frustration, year after year. Literally for the next 1,800 years, the Edomites are furious with Israel. There's actually a point where we see the Edomites show up another time in Numbers chapter 20. You can read this. This is a fun story in Bible study to actually do. In Numbers chapter 20, you watch the Edomites where Israel that went into captivity under Egypt and they were enslaved for 400 years. The Edomites must have been happy like for 400 years. Yeah, down to the Uncle Jacob and what all that happened with that family and all this rage coming out at them. But finally, Israel gets set free and now they're headed to the promised land. Guess who city they have to go through to get to the promised land? You got it, right through Edom. So the king of Edom, 
who's been building up rage because he's been hearing about the family genealogy for all of these years, looks and he says, thou shall not pass. And, you know, it doesn't say that literally. That's more of playing off a movie. But bam, he puts us down. And he does not allow for any of Israelites. And Moses is like, seriously? You're going to hold a family grudge? You're not going to let us get through to the promised land? Are you kidding me? He didn't. The king said, you cannot get by here. And he made them go around 50 miles just to be able to get. I mean, total detour. Imagine walking with all your wives, women, children, all the the, um, livestock, 50 miles out of the way just because there's a family feud. And you think your family has problems. I mean, this is generations of hatred. So hundreds of years go by still. 1,800 years of rage. One thing I love about that, by the way, is it shows the grace of God. 1,800 years of all this tension, God could have easily wiped Edom off the map, but he gave them grace. But 1,800 years is a long time. And watch how it plays out. I'm going to take you now to Obadiah. Obadiah is probably a book you haven't really studied that much. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament. The Old Testament's a pretty thick part of the Bible, two-thirds of the Bible. Obadiah's one page. So you probably don't really wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to read through Obadiah this morning. You could, you could say, like, you want to look smart. You could say, I read through an entire book of the Bible this morning. It's just one page, okay? So Obadiah is one chapter, and I'm going to read to you the very first four verses. And it has everything to do with the story. Watch this. Oh, and I better give you the background before I read this part. So the Edomites start to build up all of their ability to trust in their own strength. Like we trust in ourselves. We're never going to trust in God because God betrayed us. And we're so mad at all of these years of um, struggle. And so they actually become strong architecture, people of um, means and wealth. And they actually start to prove that they can do it on their own strength. And so they find some cliffs, which is ironic. Look at the color of these cliffs. They're actually (laughs) red. So the Edomites, who are known as red because of the red stew, now live in red caves. So it's like, my goodness, their whole bloodline is red. And they're angry people, so they're red all the time. So, I mean, it's just a fascinating story. But they become strong architects. They actually become very, very smart people. And they build their houses into the clefts of the rock. The enemies can't get to them. It's like the enemies are down here taking stones saying, I'm going to get you. <laughs> They're like, we're on high ground. You're not going to hurt us. And they kind of flip the, water, the, the, the pebbles away. They, in other words, trust in their own ability. I mean, if you live in, the, in a day and age where nobody can access your home, you have the hidden ways to get up there. You have the hidden caves and you're, protected, you're completely protected. You're going to start to get a little bit arrogant as well. And this is what Obadiah now preaches about, about people who trust in their own ways. Going back to the whole Jeremiah stuff, if you trust in God, you get blessed. If you don't trust in God and you trust in yourself, your life will come to ruin. Watch what happens. Verse 1, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. Verse 2, see, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Do you get what just happened? You think you're that great. You believe that your way, the ways of man are better than the ways of God. Your pride will ruin you. 
Look at he says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, you make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? You have so much security. You think you're so great. He goes on. Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, the Lord promises from there, I'm going to bring you down. But I love the fact that God gave him 1,800 years before he did anything, which says everything about our God. You trust in your own ways. It's not like God wants to bring punishment into the world. God just knows that you live for yourself and doing it your way. Your ways will eventually take you off the cliff. And in the case of the Edomites, literally off the cliff. For they trusted in themselves. And finally, these people called the Babylonians rose up, found a way to access the homes and threw people off and and destroyed the men, women, and children. And the Edomites were so wiped off the map that for the next 2,000 years, archaeologists and people, or, or people of faith said, can I really trust the Bible? Because it talks about the Edomites, but we have no evidence of the Edomites anywhere on planet Earth until 1968, and then again in 2006, when archaeologists discovered the evidence of the Edomites. They were so destroyed that for 2,000 years, there was no evidence of them even existing. Crazy. See, God is illustrating for us that you trust in your ways, you will come to ruin. Period. You either trust in my ways which lead to life. And I'm watching that right now today as I'm looking at the world around us and I'm, I'm realizing that this is an incredible moment in each one of our histories. I don't think the pandemic's great in any way, shape, or form, but I am finding beauty in the ashes. I am finding lots of moments in which people are being tested in a way to say, wait a minute. The truth of the matter is, I've been trusting in myself. And now all of my ways are starting to crumble. And I feel like I'm on shakier ground than I ever was before. And it's forcing us to wake up and realize, where do I really put my trust? Because like I said in the beginning, we all trust in something. And the verb, the action of your life shows you what you really believe. I mean, if you've been just kind of building up your world to build your little kingdom, to protect your little family and your little life, to make yourself feel big, (laughs) you're starting to realize I'm more vulnerable than I thought I was. And that's a gift. Because the word crisis, you've heard me say before in Chinese, literally means opportunity. There's no crisis that allows you to stay neutral. A crisis forces us to either grow or shrink in what we believe and where we stand. And so right now, before every one of us, we have an opportunity to say, where do I put my trust? And so it's a kind of a watershed moment for all of us. And that's a beautiful gift. In Hebrews 11, it says so beautifully, without faith, it is impossible to trust God. Without faith, you really, you can't, you can't bring pleasure to God if you're putting all of your attention on building your cleft rocks of a home and trying to worry about me, 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 myself, and I. All the while, God is saying, I need you to be serving and caring for and blessing the world around us. 
And so the question laying before us, uh, us all is, where do you put your trust? What I, what I love about this season as well is that I'm actually able to see God tangibly work in ways that I haven't been able to see in other seasons of life. Like, there's 7,000 promises of God in the Bible. And every promise of God is just that. It's an unbreakable promise. And so when God says, I will bring for those who are hurting, I will bring justice for those who are hurting, I can trust that God is bringing that to pass and we're watching that happen before our eyes. And we can also know that when, when I'm in great need, God is going to meet my needs. God promises that. And so it's an incredible moment where you get a chance to see neighbor helping neighbor and friend meeting friend and the church being the church to care for the basic needs in, in tangible ways. Uh, when you go through times of temptation, God says, I promise you, I will give you a way out. When you're in time of great turmoil and strife internally, I will comfort you. I mean, there's thousands of promises of God. And we have a chance right now to really say, God, not only are you asking us to take a verb step of action toward trust in you, but we're actually to see you take a verb step, action step toward us. And he's been doing it. The question is, are you looking to see? Every time I watch somebody who struggles with their faith, and I've had many, many, many conversations during this pandemic. It's been wonderful, actually, to watch the struggle and the, the awakening and or the awareness of where people really stand. I've never, in 25 years of ministry, I don't remember a time I've had so many people tell me, I really doubt God right now. And we feel guilt and nervousness about that. But I'm so grateful for these conversations because at least we're being honest about where we stand. Because that at least gives us a chance to repent and to come back into relationship and to say, God, please help me figure out how to have faith in you when it seems like I don't trust you with all the circumstances happening around me. And so it's a beautiful moment in time where we have a chance to say, God, why don't I trust you? Because throughout history, we, you can look at the Babylonians, or the Assyrians, the Persians, the Romans. You can look at the Americans. <laughs> Just because we claim to be a, a Christian nation doesn't mean we really are in the way that we act, in the way that we behave. So it's a moment for us to really stop and ask the question, why don't we trust? And you know what my answer is to that question on why people don't trust God sometimes? Every time I've boiled it down in a conversation with somebody, when I've watched the light bulb go on where they say, that's it. That's what I'm struggling with. It's always, in my personal experience, it's come down to a lack of understanding and comprehending the deep and beautiful love of God. You see, when I've watched people come alive in their faith, it's because they've truly tangibly experienced and comprehended the amazing love of God. But if you're watching circumstances happen that are bad, it's hard to sometimes have faith because you're like, I, I don't know if I even feel his love at all. But the fact of the matter is, his promises are true no matter what you feel. The question is, will you keep moving toward them and trusting them even when you don't necessarily feel it? Because when you realize the deep abiding love of God and when you look at what God has done in sending his only son to die the sinner's death that we deserve, you can't help but stop and realize, I deserve that death. God, you must have gone to great lengths to truly show me your love. That earns my trust. 
And even though it doesn't necessarily feel like it, I'm going to keep action of my life, take steps toward looking toward you and trusting you in this moment and asking for your help to move me toward you. And this leads us to us as a congregation. Five years ago, coming up in a couple of months, I would have met you five years ago as we started to build a relationship together. And um, it became very evident to me and frankly, very easy to love you right out of the gates because you lived this sermon. We've been a congregation for over 14 years and really 64 years, but in tangible ways in recent years, by being a people who don't just say we trust God, but we literally back it up with action. By being a ministry that says, okay, let's look at where we're at as a ministry. We're a debt-free ministry because of the years of sacrifice we've made to build and to do what we've done in connecting and building these different ministries up as one Watermark family with different campuses. Being debt-free means this. The Lord tells us to whom much is given, much is required. And so God should we just become like the Edomites who take all of our wealth and just hide off saying, we're okay, good luck out there? Or are we a people who say, Lord, this has always been about you and I trust you no matter what? And so we made a decision as a church many years ago to be a church that we're going to, we're blessed, we're going to be a blessing. To whom much is given, much is required. And so we are going to bless generously other ministries. Instead of taking and hoarding and building up even more, we give and give and give to the point where we've given away $12 million over the last 14 years. Who does that? Yeah, really, who does that? This is so highly unusual for a church to have this kind of a spirit. And so uh, we've been praying about this as a church saying, okay, what do we do during a pandemic? Well, we move forward and we press on and we be who we are. This is just who we've always been. We trust God. Trust is a verb. We're going to take action. Some of you don't know what heart check is because over the last 18 months, we've done what's called 2020 vision. And we did that because we wanted to do a lot of different renovations. And it kind of dawned on me, that was foolish. We should have just kept doing heart check all along. And so I want to give you a, a, just a snapshot picture of these, this video that Pastor Paul um, presents for us. And I just want you to just see big picture of who we are, what we've done, and where we're going so that we're all able to be on the same page as we talk about this concept of a heart check ministry. In the middle of March of this year, our world started to look very different. As news of the coronavirus spreading and touching people all over our state and our country, things started to shut down and people started to panic. In the middle of all of this, one thing has become abundantly clear. It's an opportunity for people like you and me, for people who follow Jesus, to make a mark, to make a stand in our world as we stand up for what we know is true and right based on our faith in Jesus. I'm really excited about where the Lord's taking us next. Through our 2020 campaign, we were able to give away nearly $1 million to our partner ministries locally and around the world, some of the partners we've been with for years. 
that also enabled us to do a number of projects around here. We completely renovated the Springville Crossing campus and partnered with Pastor Keith and his congregation to reach people for Jesus in Springville. If you talk to Keith, you know that this has been received incredibly well. We updated the hub with new paint and LED lights in the garage. We were also able to update all the video systems that are in the game room with new TVs and new computers, and it's made a huge impact on our student ministries. Here at McKinley, we've updated all of our screens, including iMeg and the Worship Center, which is simply live images up on the screen so people in the back of the room can see the pastor and the worship teams with clarity. We move forward to the next phase of the roof and parking lot at the McKinley campus. We renovated the old library to become a place for prayer, care, and so much more. At South Creek, we replaced the roof of the church building, repointed the brick of the school building, and converted the convent into offices and meeting spaces. We completed our first session of Watermark U and have since taken the foundation and created our own leadership and training course. With three quarters of 2020 rocked by a pandemic, that's 37% of the duration of our 2020 vision, this is a list to be proud of. And now it's time to move forward and press on. Despite all of the current chaos, I am so excited to announce that Heart Check is coming back as our next opportunity to support missions. If you're new around here, you may be wondering what Heart Check is. If you've been around here for a while, you know all too well what it is. For about 12 years prior to our 2020 vision, we as a church built relationships locally and around the world with ministries who need support as they carry out the Great Commission, as they carry out the work that Jesus has called them to. The course of our church forever changed on October 23rd of 2004. We had a speaker here from World Relief. His name was Clive Calver, and at that point, he was the president and CEO of that organization. As Clive was speaking on that Saturday morning, he spoke about women in Africa and how they contracted HIV and AIDS. As he spoke, Pastor Greg was in the room, and the words that Clive spoke melted Greg's heart. And from that point forward, we were a different church. At the time Clive visited, we were also in the process of building the hub. As we were raising the $3.5 million to build the hub, we decided we shouldn't just raise money for ourselves, but we should raise money to give away. So the Clive Calvert weekend partnered with that idea to give money away, put us into a place where we raised a million dollars for AIDS ministry in Africa. We partnered with two organizations, World Hope and World Relief. And as we did, we saw our giving transform the lives of women, of children, of families, and I imagine generations as we were generous to those ministries. As that campaign was winding down, we had to come to a place where we decided if we wanted to jump in and keep doing those things, or if we were done. And that's where the idea of Heart Check was born. It was a heart check for us as a congregation to say we've started these great works, we've jumped in in an incredible way, but are we done? Or what do our hearts tell us? And we did Heart Check 1, and we asked the question, are you still in? As a church, are we still in to making a difference in the lives of so many in our world? And as we did Heart Check 1, the answer that you gave, that we as a church gave was, we are in. 
Over the last 15 years, we have made a difference in the lives of tens of thousands of people as we have given to HardCheck. We have helped them find education and find what they're looking for to further their lives. We've helped them find Jesus. And now we stand on the brink of another heart check. Heart check, press on. How do we, in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of all that's going on, continue what Jesus has called us to? Continue to these partnerships and to resource ministries who are doing work that is far beyond what most of us will ever see. As we enter into Heart Check this year, it's an opportunity for us to say, how is our heart? It's an opportunity for us to raise $1.5 million, $1.5 million over the next year and a half to continue this work. We include three home projects in our plans this time as we have an ongoing responsibility to care for the campuses God has given us. But the return of heart check comes with the renewed desire to give away the majority of our offering. Now I know $1.5 million sounds ambitious at first blush, but here are hearts. We want to continue to support our ministries who are really struggling at this time in Lebanon, in Africa, in India, and here in our own city. It's an opportunity for us to say our heart is still with these people we have served for so long. So we see HeartCheck as an opportunity for us as Watermark to say, we're more concerned about the needs of others than we are our own needs. And as we see our brothers and sisters in need, as we see our partner ministries who are doing very good work, it's an opportunity for us to say, we are with you, we support you. So I ask you to be praying for these things. Pray how the Lord may want you to engage as we press on. So the temptation during a pandemic is to hide in the clefts of the rock and to protect yourself. And I, I feel it. I feel it from our conversations that we're having. This is a heavy time. Uh, but to whom much is given, much is required. So why would we stop being who we are just because times are tough? Like Jeremiah said, if you trust in the Lord, even in times of drought, you're going to see the favor and the blessings that flow. If you want to trust in yourself and say, ah, let's just kind of hunker down and be a little safe right now, we're going to miss out on all that God wants to do because the miracles are the best and sweetest when you see it being truly a miracle, something that is bigger than anything we can ask or imagine on our own strength. And so as we prayed about it as a team and as we talked about it as a leadership uh, from the church council, the, the board, we just came to a place where we said, this is just who we are. So let's press on in the midst of it all and be an incredible light, not only to this community, but to the whole world, that we're not going to be afraid in times like this because trust is a verb. We're going to take an action step as a church. Please hear me in this. We're not going to put pressure on you. This is between us and the Lord, each of us individually. But as we collectively come together, I'm convinced this is going to be a moment where if 100% of us say, I want to participate in what God is doing through our church, every one of us will get the blessing of being a part of something far greater than we could ever ask or imagine on our own. What a gift we've been given. What an opportunity. So we invite you to be a part of this heart check. Over the next several weeks, we'll be giving you lots of information of who, who we're helping and how we're caring for these ministries as we love on the community around us. As, we, as Pastor Paul shared in there, I want to be really transparent. One of the challenges that we have is the ongoing upkeep of the, the maintaining of these buildings. And we thought, how can we do heart check where it's about mission 
while we also have some needs in these buildings. And we believe these buildings are mission. So $1.1 million that we hope to raise, we're going to give away. The other 400000 is going to go to do some upkeeping things that have to be done or we're going to not have buildings to <laughs> care for the next generations for years to come. And so we believe that is a part of the bigger mission story overall. And so um, thank you for being willing to join us in what we're doing in the, in the weeks to come. And I'm convinced this is going to be a story that we have a chance to say, God, you showed us your glory. And we get to be a part of it. And so let's uh, pray together as a church as we move forward in this. Lord, I thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the gift of trust, for the gift of faith, for this incredible opportunity to be a people who step forward knowing that you are God and we are not. And we get to just be a part of what you're doing in this world. And you've given out so many promises in scripture that when we trust in you, you just provide the nourishment. You provide the favor and the care and the protection. And so I pray, God, that there's no anxiety in any of this, but there's just joy, knowing that we get to be that tree planted by the stream of life where we just get a chance to experience more and more life as we live in your generosity to this world. Thank you for the gift that we get to be a part of this. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.